0: And within this community here, that was what I called kind of the Jesus culture. It's the culture that Jesus himself established. And if you read the early church, the book of Acts, you'll see that it is the ministry continued, says Luke, of Jesus, and you'll see the same culture pervades it throughout it with three simple things. Everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. Those kind of things were just people, just felt it, touched it, and it was vibrant. I just wanted to share with you before we get into the series, we're excited. I talked last week about everyone's welcome, this idea of this gracious, welcoming community. What does it look like to, to feel wanted, to be celebrated, not tolerated? What does it mean to be noticed? What does it mean to be truly loved? And, and we are seeking to create that, and there's a way you can help if you would like to. And we have a hospitality team, we have a team of people that serves, you see greeters and welcome out here, um, they're involved as ushers, in many different ways, and if you would like to be a part of that, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, the 30th of September, I would challenge you to consider coming for that, it's just a half hour from 6 to 6.30, grab dinner here, um, make sure they know you're coming, right, and then and then be a part of that we would love for you to maybe consider that step of what does it mean to be a part of a graciously welcoming community when we talk about everyone's welcome nobody's perfect and anything's possible i love that last one cuz paul at one point says three things remain faith hope and love and it was in jesus and it was in the community of jesus It was pregnant with faith, hope, and love for people. They came going, God, you could do something in this area of my life. And they would ask Jesus, would you? And he'd go, would I? Is it possible? And is it possible? Everything's possible for those who believe in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that in this time, as we begin to explore and continue to explore this whole idea of everyone's welcome, this Sunday as you... Um, as our hearts are in a place, um, I pray we'd be in a place to learn and to hear, to be what disciples means. We'd be learners. And so we say, Holy Spirit, come. I ask you speak. Prepare our hearts to not hear words, but to meet with you today. In Christ's name, amen. I want to show you some pictures. And as you look at that, consider for a second, what do you think, what am I showing you? Very good. Who said that? Man, we got a hospital. Very good. We A hospital. Now, I want you to think for a second, and if you're close to someone, I, I want you, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of a hospital? Turn to someone, just take a second, and just tell them what it comes to mind, and then turn to the other person and tell, you know, vice versa. Okay, I'm not, I didn't say an essay, just the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. I'm sure all kinds of things came to mind, but one of the things that comes to mind when I think about a hospital is the place where everyone's welcome. Think about it. It, 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 People, um, if you're really sick or you're mentally deranged or you're mortally wounded, you name it, whatever kind of illness, one thing about hospitals, they are places where you're welcome. And and I find it interesting in hospitals they go to the extent of making you feel uh, welcome by having info centers where there are volunteers who are trained to help you find your way around. Not only do they have these volunteers at info centers, they they have a place where you can grab a cup of coffee and maybe get something to eat. And it's so welcoming that they understand that people may be coming into the hospital rushing from somewhere, and there's even a gift store, right? In case you want to get something to help someone. Now, there's obviously some profit-based in this, but let's just act like they're really doing it out of the sense that they love you. And here's the real kick in the whole thing is, is often if you go to a hospital and you're really, really sick, you've experienced some kind of tragedy, they have created just the place for you called emergency, Right? In fact, they have created this place called Emergency, and they have so staffed it to help you feel welcome, to make things go well, is that they have actual vehicles to pick you up called ambulances that will get you there. And not only that, you don't have to go through the front door and go through all the rigmarole and tape. They actually create a space at the hospital and put a sign up there that's an emergency where you can actually drive into it, and, and very quickly with trained staff, that's even another thing they think about. They have trained staff specifically to help you because they... Are there as a place to welcome you in wherever you're at with whatever's going on in your life because they're a place where everyone's welcome. My first experience with the hospital was kind of an interesting one. It was the Cook County Hospital. I, I should, it really wasn't my first experience. Some 18 years before that, I had an experience not with just the Cook County Hospital in Chicago, but with, with the Swedish Covenant Hospital in Chicago. So there's a few people waving, you know, kind of say, yeah, I, I remember that place. Although I didn't remember much of what happened. It was a real traumatic experience um, that happened there. Uh, my mom gave birth and called this guy Kevin. And uh, for some reason, she remembers that I don't. I called her this week, and even though she's failing in her memory, I said, Mom, do you remember the day I was born? And she said, you better believe I do, even though I don't recall it. But anyway, my first experience, though, that I really recall was at uh, Chicago Cook County Hospital. I had been playing hockey for a, a college team and I was going down the boards on the, on the right. Oh, I must have been playing left wing at that time for some reason because I was going down the boards and I got a pass and I was, I was just a foot or so in front of the def- defenseman and I was breaking through the, uh, the blue line. I got it uh, just on the other side of the blue line and I started to cut towards the net and I was going this way, he was going this way, my knee was going the wrong way and it was like immediate blinding pain. And I just laid out, sprawled out on the ice And I remember my parents were at that game, and so they rushed me to the hospital. We went to Cook County Hospital, and I'm there in pain. They were trying to decide what to do with my knee. They had a couple different options that they could do. I was of age, so they conferred with me. And I just remember my dad trying to, with the doctor, telling me the two different things to do. And I just looked at him and said, I don't care, just get me better. And uh, that's something else the hospitals do. They're about places that share with you truth so that you get better. They're not just a welcoming place that say, we'll take you where you're at. they are also places where they say, where you're at, we're going to help you become something that you're created to be and help restore you and bring you to health. And so as I was thinking about this and the importance of a hospital, what I wanted us to think about is the church functions so much like that. We have to be people like that. We have to be the kind of people that allow for people to come into their life with whatever's going on in their life. Sometimes even we are emergency rooms, so to speak. We are like that as a community of people when come, people come here, and the whole purpose is to bring them in, to welcome them, to give them a place where they experience grace. And yet, at the same time, it's a place where we say we want to share truth so that we can move to a place of health and restoration. I had no idea when I said, get me better, what that would entail. I didn't realize the operation and then the months of recuperation and, and therapy, and different things that had to take place as a result of, of that. But it was all the process of coming to this very welcoming place where I was received with grace into a room where they were waiting for me, where they took me to a place. You know, it's really interesting. Hospitals are so cool that even if you are contagious, guess what? They have a room for you. And yet they don't want you to stay that way. Grace and truth, people, according to the word of God, fit into this sense of feeling welcome. It fits into this place because they're not opposed to each other. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, state this clearly about Jesus. He is this perfect combination of grace combined with truth where you can come with who you are, where you're at, where he can hold you and love you and care for you and yet at the same time, can begin to share with you the things that need to take place in your life in order that you can become who God created you to become he says in, in verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us God entered into history and lived in a human body both God and man fully man fully God Jesus we have seen his glory writes John the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father. And here's the glory. Here's the glory. Here's the remarkable thing when people experience this d- done well. He came what? Full of grace and truth. He goes on a little bit later in, in John says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. This incredible combination of here's who I am without any mask, without anything hiding. I come before you and, and say, I, I want you to make me better. Grace and truth, you need to understand, are not opposed to each other. There are there are grace people who tend to be more that way, and there are truth people who tend to be more that way within any kind of situation, any community, but we need them both. We need them combined. We need them moving together because the two of them help create health and restoration. They're not opposed. Grace hugs and holds you while truth basically helps and restores you. So as in hospitals, so also in churches and those who truly follow Jesus, you are welcomed with grace, but you are also challenged with truth. So last week when we were looking at this, we were looking primarily at this idea of everyone's welcome. We were talking about grace. What does it mean to come? What does it mean to feel someone who wants you? And, and what does it mean to actually feel noticed by someone? What does it mean for you to really feel the love of someone? And we read some stories about the incredible impact that has. And there's a, there's a reason why grace always precedes truth in Scripture. You know, you can hear truth, a lot of times an enemy may say some things that have some truth in it, but it's a lot harder to hear from someone who doesn't like you, right? But if someone really, really loves you, someone opens their arms and, and grace embraces you, and you know they care about you, and they know they want you, 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 that as you are with them, they want your best, the reason grace precedes truth is because out of the platform of that sense of love and acceptance... You see, a lot of people don't realize this about God. They don't realize that if, you, if you're here and you're beginning to struggle and you're working through this or you've been in the church for a long time, a lot of people are raised with this idea that God just is, is out for me. He doesn't like me. He's angry with me all the time. He's got a wrath. We put all kinds of things on him. And God says, no, here's the reality. I don't like what is in the sin and the, the things that are creating the problems. I want to remove that. But I love you. I want you in my presence. And when you begin to experience that sense of I'm loved, I'm want you're celebrated. That's what you see in the life of Jesus, not tolerated. You begin to put yourself in a position where you go, Okay, Doc, tell me what really needs to happen here. Give me what I need. So last week we were looking at everyone's welcoming Cornelius, who's a Gentile, and people have asked, What is a Gentile? A Gentile is just is merely someone who's not a Jew. It's a kind of like. He's not one of us. He's one of them kind of attitude, right? And so here is Cornelius. He's a Gentile. Yet more than that, Cornelius was a member of the occupying hated army of Rome. So he's a soldier. So here's Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He's a soldier. And more than that, he's a commander of a group of soldiers. So he's just kind of raising the ante of white. Any good Jew, especially Peter, doesn't want to be with him. And not only that, we're told this. On top of all that, not only is he a commander, a soldier, and a Gentile, but we're told in this passage of Scripture he's a part of the Italian regiment. He was, he was born in Rome, bred in Rome, bleeds Rome, everything Rome and the reason he's in Caesarea is more than likely he's like you know when you have politicians they have people who watch you and guard you You have kind of a secret service we call them well in this sense they were the guards around Pilate because they knew Pilate's life could easily be taken by anybody from a zealot kind of Jewish background and so in that place they put the Italian guard around and he is the commander and yet we're told that he had a vision because God noticed his heart The worst of the worst, one kind of person you wouldn't want to welcome into your community, the person who seemed to be way out there, God noticed his heart because he desired to know the living God so God sends him an angel and he sends him an angel and he says, you need to find Simon who's called Peter who's staying in Joppa who's staying in the house of Simon called Tanner. It kind of gets a little, you know, a lot of people named Simon. And so these Cornelius, a man under command, goes okay to the angel, and he sends three of his guys, one of his military commanders, two other of his servants. They go to the house in Joppa. They stand at the door in Joppa. They don't have doorbells, so they stand outside there, and they go, yo, is there a guy named Simon who you call Peter in here? They're calling out, and at the very same time, Simon, who's called Peter, is up on the rooftop, now, you've got to ask yourself as you hear this story, is it coincidence or is there a providential God? Coincidence or providence? It's a providence, right? Because here he's on the rooftop. He's hungry. He's waiting for lunch. He's tired. He's in this open air. The sea is out there. He begins to get a bit tired. And it says he starts falling off to sleep. And in that place, it says the word trance, vision, which is often where people, you know, we as I, mean, I be reading this today and we'll probably talk more about it in the week or so to come. When we talk about anything's possible, we, we like to kind of say, oh, that's just something that happened then. But God speaks through visions. We see it all over, as, as, as we heard from Reuben David. We see it all around the world. That's how many, many people who are from a Muslim background are coming to faith in Christ right now. So he's in his trance, he has this vision, he sees this kind of tent brought down with all these animals, and, and three times he's told to eat from it, and three times he goes, no, I'm, I'm not going to. And three times God goes, listen, if I made it clean, it's clean. Eat it. And as he's coming out of that vision, trying to figure out what it is, lost in his thought, he all of a sudden, here's the Holy Spirit And the Spirit of God whispers in his ear and says, Peter, there's some guys down below who are calling for you. Get down there and do not hesitate to go with them. Have no misgivings. I know they're Roman soldiers. I know it's scary. In your mind, you might think they've come to lock you up. I I know all that. But I want you to open your arms, be graciously welcomed, bring them into your house, and more than that, go with them to their house. And so... He goes with him a day's journey from Joppa to Caesarea. And here's where the story picks up, where we're going to pick up today. Acts 10, verses 27 through 48. I want to share with you a few implications that I'll just kind of read through the story like I did last week, and then we'll just talk at the end of the application. While talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside. So he goes to the house, he's outside, he's talking to Cornelius. Cornelius and them are, you know, kind of saying, oh, I'm glad you came, da 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 and... And Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. I love that. Cornelius calls his family and friends together and says, I know it's kind of weird. I've had this dream and I sent to the guy. They don't have cell phones, so he has no idea what time they're actually going to show up, but he knows he sent them and he knows kind of about the time. He's got them all waiting. Talk about faith. They go in, this gathering people, and he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew. This is Peter. You are well aware. So you know this, Cornelius. You've lived in this land enough to know how much we hate you guys. You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I underline that as you go out into the world Underscored. I don't care who it is and what they're doing. No one is to be called that. We are called to engage with everyone because God loves them. And I don't care what person it is, as long as they're breathing, they have the image of God in them. And in the eyes of God and in Jesus, we saw in the Jesus culture in which he created, they were welcome. So he says... Um, you know you don't associate with them, but God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Uh, we all know that's baloney, right? <laughs> Three times he said no. But maybe, let's, let's give him credit that when they actually came to the door, he followed the Lord and went. He had to get over something. I think all of us have to get over some kind of hurdle that separates us from people that God wants to reach especially people who have been raised in the church. And so he says, May I ask why you sent me? Isn't that interesting? not really quite sure if he is. He just wants to ask him. And so Cornelius answered three days ago. I was in my house praying at this hour and at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who's called Peter. He's in the guest in the home of Simon the tanner who lives by the sea so i sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come now we are all here in the presence of god to listen to everything the lord has commanded you to tell us what i think is interesting here is the first thing i want you to just realize the implication of this is when we talk about everyone's welcome the word of god makes it really clear there's a message there's a message to be given. It has content, information. There's truth that needs to be told. It's absolute truth. It's something that has to be... He didn't just come in and say, well, Peter, great, you know, just bless us because we're seeking after God. He says, no, there's a message you need to hear. And I, I love what he says. Listen, now we are all here in the presence of God. Talk about spiritual sensitivity. God's here, says, says Cornelius. I mean, it's pretty obvious by the way he's been working in my life. I saw this guy who's shining. He told me to get you. I go there, and you're there, and you're having this thing, and you come here. and Boy, it looks to me like God's here right now. For someone here, you might be in the same place where you're you're here, you're sitting here, and, and God has been working in your life, and you know that this point where you are at, the presence of God is here. It's not about me. It's not about the people. It's not about this church. It's about the fact that God is present speaking to you. And he has a message for you. We're all here. And uh, he, he's kind of like, he says, okay, we're all here we're in the presence of God. So, Doc, tell us what got God have to say? Lay it on me. I just want to get better. And he says to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Not a few things, not, not a couple of your opinions. We want to hear it all, and even as it 's hard to hear, we want to hear it and so Peter, who has graciously welcomed them, came into their home, has actually eat eaten with them comes to them and says, here's here's the truth. Now remember back to Acts 10, verses 1 and 2. Let me just read to you what it had to say there. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. This opens up the story, and I think it's important to hear this again. A centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Verse 2, he and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Cornelius was not just a nice guy, He wasn't just a good guy. He was a deeply moral and compassionate person who prayed to God regularly. And God, as a result of his heart, took note of his hunger and his thirst and met him right where that hunger and thirst was. Now, what I want you to understand, I don't care if you don't need to be good or anything, God is a person who takes note of people who are hungry and thirsty for him. And this isn't just a message for a few. This is a message for all of us. In the same way we talked about it feels good to be wanted, God goes where he's wanted. You can go to church, you can live your life, you can do this for years, but if you don't have the heart that's just hungering and thirsting, God takes note of your heart when you hunger and thirst for him. So Peter is sent with a message, and Cornelius is, is to be told it. He welcomes him, and he says, okay, here is what God has to say. Here's the message. So listen to what the story continues. Then Peter began to speak. Okay, tell us. Tell us everything. Don't leave out anything. What do you think the message is going to be? You know, often if we were to read it kind of like, well, you're a sinner, Cornelius. I mean, that would be, wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't it make sense for him, Peter, to look at him and go, you are a Roman soldier of the worst and highest order. You are such a rotten sinner. He doesn't do that. Here's here's the message. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel. Isn't that interesting? He said almost in a sense, I don't really need to tell you the message because you know the message. And you go, well, really? He says, you know the message that God God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He knows that Cornelius knows about this. He knows that Cornelius is very closely tied to Pilate. He knows that Cornelius was in Jerusalem when Jesus was put on the cross. Listen to this. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And catch this. I, the church is lacking this. was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Here's, and you read it in Luke. You'll find it even, it says it with Jesus, that he was filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. doesn't until verse 14 says he came in the power of the Spirit. And then news about him spread everywhere. The church today, a lot of people are going, what about the church? The church needs to wake it up. You know what the church needs? The church needs the power of God. We have tried way too long to do it through our own flesh. We have tried way too long to intellectualize people into faith. What the church needs to do is express and demonstrate the power of God so people go, wow, God's here. Jesus did that, and if it's good for Jesus, it probably should be good for us. How anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. How God anointed, how God anointed, how God anointed Jesus. How God would he anoint Jesus in us again with the power, with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around. Here's It was really pretty simple. He went around doing good. We, may, we think it's got to be this really difficult thing, We got well, but if we just kind of do... He just went around, and if it was a good thing to do, he did it. Think about it for a second. Someone you work with, someone you care about, someone you may be praying about, what would it mean for you just to do something good? And to do it again the next day, and to do it again the next day. And then they don't like it, you know, and you, you feel they reject you, and you just do good, and you do good by even doing good when they reject you. And they go, what is going on here? He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Here's another key, because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And I think he needs to kind of put that in there because he needs to let them know that there was people were talking. He knew about people talking that they'd seen Jesus. And, well, I haven't seen Jesus. Well, you, have you seen Jesus? No. And then, ha ha, these people, they're seeing Jesus. And he goes, you know what? He showed up to those who wanted him. You'll get that as well. You know, how do you know? Jesus shows up to people who want him. And so he shows up and it and, and says he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And, and what I, I want you to get out of this is not only whether there's a message, but here's the message, the message, plain and simple, is just this. The, you want people to go, well, what, what's the ma-? Jesus. Well, what do you mean Jesus? That's it, that's it, Jesus. It's the fact that Jesus came, and and when when you look at this, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the truth. When Cornelius asked Peter about the message, Peter basically, in this, if you read this, it's just about Jesus. Because he's someone you're aware of, he says. In fact, one of the evidences that Jesus actually existed, that he, he lived, died, and resurrected is the fact that this was written so close to those accounts and he would write something like this that they would know about it because if he would write something like this beyond record, there would be other people who obviously would have written and said that wasn't true. But here's the message, Cornelius, says Peter, it's Jesus. It's the one thing you've heard about. You've heard about, you know, he lived, you knew that. He died, you know that. He was raised from the dead. You, you've heard reports about that. Well, let me share with you why the angel sent by God wants you to know. Let me share with you what he exactly wants you to know. This very same Jesus will someday judge you for your sins. Isn't that interesting? That's what you need to hear. You know about Jesus, you know all about Jesus, but you don't understand the significance of Jesus. Jesus was one who came and lived a righteous life, and on that righteous life, he actually died on the cross. He died on the cross, and he took the sins of all people who were not righteous so that they could stand in the righteous presence of God, not in, 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 in their own stead, not because of the things they've done. You really think about it, Cornelius was not just a good guy, he was a great guy. But even as good and devout as he was, even as sincere as he was and hungry for God, even though he gave generously, even though he prayed, I mean, he probably prays more than a lot of us, right? Yet he still says to him, there's something missing in your life. He doesn't just show up and go, "Hey, you're on the right road, good job, just keep moving that way. He actually says to him, guess what? This Jesus you have heard about and you know about and has been reported the fact that he's living and alive today. He lives today. This Jesus, here's the significance. This Jesus that you know about, he's going to judge you someday for your sin. Yeah, I, I understand you've done a lot of really good things, but here's the reality. This Jesus, as a result of his life, was exalted to the right hand of the Father so that someday every person living and dead will stand before him and have to give an account of their life. You and I will have to give an account of our life, is what he says. Now, you kind of go, well, that's not a welcoming message. It'd be like the doc who's, who's holding me and he's about to do surgery and, and they're going to put me down and we going, is this going to be painful? I mean, I've got I to admit I need help in my knee. So here's the thing about Cornelius. You know why he didn't need to come to Cornelius and have to stress the whole fact that he's a sinner? He knew it. He knew it. There are people who in this culture know they are sinners. They are broken. They are living with shame. They understand it, and they need the grace of God, and they need this truth that Jesus, Jesus, yes, Jesus is the person you need for your life. Now here's the king, it's really cool, because when you continue to read this, here's here's the heart of God. He says, all the prophets testify. Listen to this, verse 43. This is what I'm going to leave us with. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It is really clear. You're here, Cornelius, and understand the presence of God is here. You're well aware of who Jesus is, but you didn't maybe know is that you're gonna stand before him someday. day, no matter all the good things you've done, but you will stand before him someday. And when you stand before him, I want you to know this truth. As long as you're aware of your need of him, you get you get forgiveness. We're gonna talk more about this next week. What is this whole concept of sin? Because we're in a culture today that doesn't like to talk about sin or saving. What does it mean? But what I like about this message is it's a message about the forgiveness of sins for those who believe. Doc told me the truth, hold nothing back, and here's the truth: you can say that, you can know the cure, you can have thoroughly, um, you can have it thoroughly explained to you, but you need to live in the truth of it. You need to commit yourself in belief to this being true in your life today. And if you're in a point where you're going, I didn't know this, I, under, I for years I've heard about Jesus and I've I realized that, you know, that he's really significant, I've heard this idea that he forgives a sin, but I didn't realize that my sin would stand in judgment even though I've been living on the curve, right? And I thought God just graded on the curve, no, he doesn't grade on perfection, he says, if "You don't, you don't, you don't do completely like Jesus did. Then you stand under judgment. But if, 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 if you are willing to say, Jesus, I would, would you stand in there for me?" He goes, "I did. That's what I did in history, so that you can have life and fullness, and you can know forgiveness of sin." Well, I'm just going to illustrate one one simple way. My my um, I'm a big Cub fan. Anybody know that? Um, they have these jerseys out now, right you now, they say Chicago Cubs, and on the back it says 08. And, and if you might be thinking it's 2008, no, it means 1908, which was the last time they actually won the whole thing. They're called the lovable losers for a reason, because they just break your heart. But for some reason, I deeply love them. And it probably goes back to my dad, who grew up just blocks from Wrigley Field, and they grew up in this home. And when Cub games would go on, they would put chairs out there, and then when they would remove them so people could park there, and they would get money for doing that. And then they would run down to the ballpark, and they would be in the area where the players would come in, but over in that same area was where you'd go into the bleachers. And, and in that day, they didn't have seats in the bleachers. They sold orange crates. So my dad would be there selling orange crates. And after he, he would sell a few, a lot of times he would want to get into the game. So some of those guys, these little guys, would try and you know, with the crowd, the master crowd, they try and walk in, like they're like in and the Andy Fran usher. would go, "Hey, bud, out of here!" My dad had tried that a couple of times, and. And he would hear the, you know, you'd hear the excitement again. You just want to be in there. You just want the field. You want to be in the experience of it. You want to, you want to, you know, hear the crack of the bat and the, and the cry of the crowd. And you want to, you want to experience all that's going on in there. And he wanted to get in there. There's no way he could get in there because he didn't have the money. He didn't have the ability to get in there until one day he's standing there. He's, he's kind of doing that same thing. And a guy puts his arm around him. And my dad looks up and his Cloud who who is his great pitcher for the Cubs at that time. He grabs, puts his arm around him and he walks with him and he looks at the Andy Fran after and goes, he's with me. And my dad went, <laughs> you want the life of Jesus now? You want the life of God now and forever? It's a life that lives with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You experience the grace of Jesus. Not one of us can stand here and go, wow, I'm welcome because of something I've done because I grew up in the church. You're not welcome even because you necessarily made a decision in Jesus. You're welcome because God the Father through Jesus welcomed you through Jesus and you just believed it. And that's what he says. So I just want you to think about this and pray about it because as he goes on, he says to them, the Holy Spirit falls on them and they hear the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. And they received the Holy Spirit just as we have. They ordered him to be baptized and Peter stayed there a few days. I want you to seriously consider: Have you have you ever actually put your faith in Jesus and said, "It's not about me. I don't care what I'm doing. You're not on the curve, but I'm going to be. I'm going to base my faith fully, 100 percent, in Jesus." And the second thing I want you to think about: If you're living a dry life, or you want to truly experience the kind of life that God can give, I want you to really. I want you to think about this: Have you said, "Yes, Holy Spirit, fill me." fully and send power upon me a few Sundays back I asked the church do you want the power of the spirit and I was I was I was really amazed um, with all these hands that went up and, and maybe you put your hand up then or maybe you didn't and I just want you to think about it do you want that in your life we're going to sing this song and then I'll just come up and close